0: In our series of running with the giants and the verse that pastor mitch has, has gone over the past couple of weeks was hebrews 12 1. therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us one version of the scripture or the, the bible says besets us or sets us back but let us run with perseverance race uh, the race marked out for us And this series is just an opportunity for us to get a glimpse into some of the giants of our faith. What would the heroes of faith say if you had one lap to run with them? If you could just for a moment lace up your tinnies and just jump in this race with them, what would they say? Noah would have said something like this, that one person can make a difference. Amen. No matter what the world says, no matter if they've seen it like this before or not, if God gives you a word, one person can make a difference. Nehemiah would have said something like this, that opposition doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. Better yet, it means you're doing something right. He was being fought on both sides. They said he had a tool in one hand and a sword in the other. But opposition doesn't mean you're doing something wrong, but rather you're doing something right. And today we have the opportunity to introduce our first female giant of the faith. All the ladies in the house say hey. All the ladies in the house say hey. All right, we're gonna get up in here and talk about a female giant of the faith. This, this is one of my favorite stories. I've preached it a couple times to my students back in the day, back in the youth pastor days. And if you're in the house today, thank you for coming. Uh, I love you so much. But this particular female um, is absolutely amazing. She is, she is not just a, just a woman. She's not just a woman of faith. She's a giant of the faith. And you will see, hopefully, I can communicate that to you by the end of the story. But before we get started, let me go ahead and set a foundation for you. Um, We're going to start in the book of Joshua. And I love the book of Joshua because Joshua is where the children of Israel finally have the opportunity to step into their promised land. And we know that the story, and if you're like me, you think of the wonderful animated story like The Prince of Egypt, and it's la, 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 and everybody's running in, and it's beautifully animated, and it's like, I mean, it was like ahead of its time, and, and we would all buy the soundtrack and sing it together over the phone, because back in the day, we didn't have like FaceTime or whatever. Or maybe you're like an old school person who enjoys like the the good old Charlton Heston, Yule Brynner, Ten Commandments type of thing, and I was I was watching that. I've looked up some YouTube clips, and that cinematography back in the day was powerful, Powerful. Go watch it. And, and, you'll, and they have amazing voices, and they look into the camera with such ferocity. It was, it was, it's beautiful. But I love the story because the children of Israel are finally free. So they get their stuff. They begin to head out of Egypt, and they are now at the, the Red Sea. And the ground begins to shake, not because they are experiencing something supernatural, something powerful, but rather Pharaoh just can't let it go. And he decides that he is going to assemble his chariots and all of his horses and all of his men to pursue these people who are supposed to be free. So in front of them, they have the Red Sea. Behind them, they have Pharaoh and his army. And now he is in pursuit of them. We know that Moses looks out at the sea. He says something to the Lord, I imagine. He lifts up his staff and the seas part and the nation of Israel is able to move through this body of water, walking on dry land, not muddy land. God didn't just dry it up. He opened it up, but he, he made it dry. Nobody's shoes got dirty. That's powerful. There's a message in that. <laughs> Clean shoes, you know. He, he brought them through this Red Sea all the way through. They make it to the promised land. Musicians come the end. Unfortunately, that is not how the story goes. We also know that God told these people they can have this land. Long story short, the children of Israel make their way out of Egypt. They get to the outskirts of the promised land, and Moses says, I'm going to send 12 men out to spy out the land. The unfortunate thing about this particular land, this country, this, this wall, is that there were people inhabiting this area, and they didn't want anybody there. That's why the wall was built. And so he sends them out just to check it out. They see amazing things, but one of the things that they see is... It's giants. Now I'm a strong 5'9 at best. And I have a younger brother who stands head and shoulders above the rest. I'm I'm just dropping bars. Y'all aren't even catching it right now. I'm I'm rhyming. 6'3, just strapping young man. And if you've ever been around a basketball player, Kawhi Leonard, 6'9, I think. Tim Duncan, 6'11, Shaq, 7'1. Back in the day, I had a buddy of mine who whose friend won the lottery. Imagine that. They were already will, really wealthy. But when you live in San Antonio and you get money, what do you do? You buy season tickets, right? So they bought season tickets. We're, and These tickets are on like the, the eighth row or the sixth row or something like that. We are close enough to get sweat on us if, if it goes the wrong way. And this was, this was an opportunity. So sometimes they would throw us tickets. And this one day they said, hey, man, we're going to give you guys some tickets. You guys are going to go see the Houston Rockets play the San Antonio Spurs. Now, this was within the good old days of the Houston Rockets back in the days of Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming, right? And I was up there. I I don't know what we were doing or what happened at that particular time, but for some reason Yao Ming is about as far from from me as Carly is. And I looked at Yao Ming and I I almost cried because he was so big. This man is 7 foot 6 inches, 311. he, He is not a skinny big man. He's like a tree trunk. His legs were literally like tree trunks. His shoes were like small boats. His hands were like rakes. Okay, I feel like David explaining Goliath. He was a giant of a human being. So I get the reason they're afraid when they look out and see giants. The unfortunate thing is that 10 of the 12 spies come back with a negative report. And the Bible says that this angers God so much that they doubted him when he already said that the land was theirs, that he waits for an entire generation to die off because of their lack of faith. They don't step into the promise that's already theirs. The Bible says it like this in Numbers chapter 14, verse 30. No, not one of you will enter the land, I swore, with uplifted hand to make your home, except for Kalen, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. Numbers fourteen thirty four says it like this, for 40 years, One year for each of the days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. That makes me nervous. When God, the God of heaven says, you know what, now I'm against you because you didn't step into what I promised you. So after 40 years of wandering in the desert, after everyone who doubted dies off, it is now time to try again. The unfortunate thing about this story is Moses, with everything that he did, never got to see The promised land. So the mantle transitions to Joshua and Joshua says, this time I'm only sending two and you better not come back with a bad report. Because now in Joshua's mind, it's time to seize the day. The Bible says like this in Joshua 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim to go look over the land. He said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So here we go. We introduce Rahab to the story. Wow. Hi, everybody. I can see you now. Good morning. We know that Rahab is identified as the harlot. She's the prostitute and everybody knows that she's a sinner. She's a shameful woman. She's dirty. She's a Cochina, if you're here from San Antonio. They say it's one of the oldest professions and according to the scripture, it is And I don't know why these men chose to stay there. We're just going to say that they didn't know. But in order for us to set this this story right, I'm going to read quite a passage of Scripture. So I want you to stay with me because I'm a big Bible guy. And I feel like for context, you got to hear it. So here we go. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sends this message to Rahab. So he knows that they're in her house. She says, bring, he says, bring out the men that came to you because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, they came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And at dusk, when it was time to close the gate, they left. And I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. So Rahab's a bad girl. Rahab, just, she just lied to the king. Okay. But she had taken them up to her roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out for them. So the men set out to pursue them. These guys go taking after them. Now, I want you to stay with me because here it gets good in verse eight. Before the spies lay down that night, Rahab went up to the roof and said this to them. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear. Everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is the God of heaven above and the earth below. What? That's powerful. But this is what gets me. The children of Israel were afraid to take a land that was already theirs. And on the other side of that wall, these people were afraid for 40 years. They were expecting them to come in and take it from them. They were terrified. And makes sense to me now why God gets upset, because it's theirs. Now, if you allow me just a moment, church, I feel like I just want to make this point that we can't allow ourselves to let our perception of ourselves keep us out of our promise. We can't allow ourselves to literally talk ourselves out of everything that we've dreamed of, every prayer that God's prayed for us. We can't allow ourselves to think ourselves too inadequate to believe that God can truly do much more than we can ask or think, or that he truly knows the thoughts and the plans that he has for us. When we do that, we find ourselves trapped outside of the promise, locked out because of our choices because of our inadequacies, our mistakes, our lack of talent, fear, habits, choices, maybe even your past. But that's not what the story is about today. Fortunately, God uses an unlikely hero to fulfill the promises. And in doing so, he changes her story. If you're still with me, say amen. Now let's get back to Rahab. Let's remember all of Rahab's life. She was afraid of the people on the other side of the wall. For reference sake, I just want to go back to this. When we heard of it, our hearts melted. And one thing that sticks out to me, she says, for the Lord your God is the God of heaven above and the earth below. And I love this because knowing all that she knows about their God, all that she's heard, she acknowledges the greatness of their God. She puts her fear behind her. Rahab puts her image behind her, her identity, and even her occupation out of her mind. And she puts her faith in a God that she has no relationship with. She doesn't know him personally. I love this. Many of you may be in this place who have a a, a long uh, family history of living for the Lord, but there may be someone here that doesn't know God personally. You've heard about him. You've heard people talking about him. You've heard friends tell you about what God is doing in their lives, but you don't know him personally. You may be like Rahab. But I love what she does here. She changes the subject with with such haste that I wonder, and I bet that she's been waiting to ask this question, waiting for an opportunity until this moment. She changes her life story with two words. Everybody say, now, then. Everybody say, now, then. Now, then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. That you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that are in my family. That you'll save us from death. She takes an opportunity to ensure that her family is safe. I imagine the spies looking back and forth at each other. Okay. And they reply this. Our lives for your lives. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So now they've got faith. Now they're all excited because now they know we've been scared for 40 years. So when he gives it to us, you're going to be okay. Verse 17 says it like this. This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter this land You've tied this cord, scarlet cord from your window through which you let us down. And unless you've brought your father and your mother, your brothers and all your family into the house. They go on and talk about if you don't adhere to this, this is what's going to happen. Everybody's going to die. But if you will listen, if you will agree to this, then we'll go forward and you will be spared. The Bible says that she agrees and she says, let it be as you say. So she sent them on the way, and they departed, and as she tied the scarlet cord to the window. Almost four chapters, chapters later, it begins. The children of Israel begin making their way into, uh, towards the, the promised land. The Bible says it like this in Joshua chapter 6, verse 17, that the city and all that is in it will be devoted to the Lord. Now, that's the NIV version, and I looked up what they mean by devoted. Devoted means destroyed. They're going to give everything to God. They're going to destroy it, and we're going to offer it to him because he said this is ours. So they're not playing around. But only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall be spared because she hid the spies. Everybody say get in the house. Everybody say get in the house. I, I got to stay here for just a second. Anybody play outside when you were growing up? What was the rule in the summertime? You'd be in before... You be in before dark because in darkness, there's you know, less safety. Now, me and my brother, we would play, and we would play hard. My mom would make sure we didn't come in and out. She locked the door, so we'd have to stay outside all day. She'd leave some sandwiches on the porch and just be like, don't come, up, don't come back until 830. Just kidding. Just kidding. That's not how it went. But she didn't like us coming in and out because it messes with the AC and the CPS bill. You know, we got money to waste. Um, but at the, in the evening, when, when the night came, we had to be back in that house, and I had to have my brother with me. You be back in this house and you make sure Gaston is with you because in the house, there's safety. Amen. In the house, there's protection. Amen. In the house, there's healing. There's food in the house. I've got some friends who live in kind of the the coastal Louisiana, Mississippi, and I I didn't know this, but because of the amount of hurricanes that come uh, through that area, um, there's like a designated house that's a safe area and people will literally bring food and, and sleeping bags and all of their materials and they go and they camp out in this house and everybody hangs out and they play games and they pray that the hurricane passes because there's safety in the house. And I want you to stay with me for just a moment. As we make choices to turn towards God and to follow him, the things connected to us are introduced to God. Amen. They're introduced to God in a new way. And I've been fortunate to hear many of your stories and your testimonies about what God is doing in your families, your husbands, your wives, your children, because you are getting them in the house. You guys are in this house together and it looks amazing. I see people all the way at the top. So give yourselves a hand for being in the house today. Come on, everybody, give yourselves a hand for making the time to get in the house on this beautiful summer day. I'm a believer that as we continue to grow in this body, this walk with the Lord, as the Holy Spirit fills us, he will draw people to us. Has anybody found that to be true? When you begin to make a conscious decision that, God, you know, I'm going to follow you, people start coming up out of, the, out of nowhere. What's different about you? Where, where, where have you been? I hadn't seen you with us, but, you know, I, I missed you. I feel like I need to talk to you because the Spirit of God is drawing them to you. Let's continue to jump into this. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid Joshua, excuse me, she hid the men that Joshua sent. And she lives among the Israelites today. Two things stuck out to me in this verse. One is that Rahab, after everything she does for the children of God, she's still identified as Rahab the prostitute. That even though she's, she's pretty much risked her life for them, she can't shake this identity that's followed her all the way into this moment. I feel like that's important for us to know because as we transition here, I'm just going to show you that it doesn't matter what the rest of the world, your peers, or anyone who knew you, believes and calls you. As long as God has a plan for you, he's going to fulfill it. Amen. The other thing that stands out to me is that she lives among the Israelites to this day. And if you don't know the story of Rahab, it's about to get good, okay? I want you to understand the the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and that simply means the family tree of Jesus Christ. Now, remember, Rahab, the prostitute, uh, the, the dirty girl, everybody knows about her. She's done some bad things. But if we look at the Bible, Matthew chapter one, verses one and then uh, five and six, this is the genealogy or family tree of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, when we jump down to verse five, it says this, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Wait a minute. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse the king. How did Rahab, the prostitute, get in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? How did Rahab, the dirty girl that everybody knows about, get in the genealogy, the family tree, the line of Jesus Christ, the Messiah? Let me break this down for you. Rahab gets into this family tree because one Rahab was spared. The children of Israel didn't just walk through and destroy everything and leave them in a destroyed city. They literally, Joshua literally brings Rahab and her family into the camp. So they began to move with them into this promised land. But it gets even better. Rahab catches the eye of Salmon of the tribe of Judah. Now, if you know anything about the children of Israel, they're broken up into tribes. And there's significant tribes that you hear more about. One of those is the tribe of Judah. It's a big deal. They're known for their worship. They, they are up in front of everyone. And this, this guy sees Rahab in the camp. And he's like, who is that? And I'm sure somebody was like, no, nah, you don't want her. She's a, she's a prostitute. You know what I'm saying? But, but wait a minute, why is she with us then? So he doesn't he doesn't let that stick in his mind. He begins to pursue her. And the Bible tells us that they wed, and it gets even better. He makes her an honest woman, he marries her. So now Rahab is not just spared, she's now been adopted. So I'm technically a Rodriguez because I'm married into the Rodriguezes. So I'm Mexican just like the rest of y'all. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not because I've been by blood and now we've got a baby together. So now I'm really connected by blood. Y'all with me? Rahab is now not just spared. She's adopted. She's in the family. But it gets even better. God doesn't stop there. He blesses Rahab and Salmon with a son and they call him Boaz. And I know all the ladies are waiting for me to talk about Boaz. Because Boaz is not just a man. Boaz is a good man. He is literally the model or the example that all men are supposed to be. Boaz is the man that women are praying for, like today. They get on their knees at night. If they're looking for a husband, they're, God, I want a Boaz. I want him to love me like he did in the scripture. I want that. So wait, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this. So the bad girl... Rahab, the prostitute, raises a good boy who turns into a great man who embeds herself forever in the lineage, the the genealogy, the family tree of Jesus Christ because she saw an opportunity. She saw it and she sees the opportunity to change her life, not just hers, but everything connected to her. She got her family in the house and the house was saved because of Rahab. And it's, it's hard for me. I told my wife this story, and I got all mushy and stuff when I was reading this because it, it just let me know that everything that Rahab went through, and if you know anybody who's ever been in that lifestyle, you know what she's experienced. You know the hurt. You know that every time she lays down and has to smell the breath of some dignitary or wealthy man, probably even religious dudes, she's probably thinking in the back of her head, no. God, if you give me a child, I'm going to raise them better than this man right here. They'll be better than me. If you give me a son, I will raise him to be great. So Rahab with no morals, according to society. Rahab with all of her baggage, all of her hurts, is used by God, the king of glory, to raise one of the greatest men in the Scripture. And she's connected to the lineage of Jesus Christ. That's powerful. Clap your hands to the Lord. So how could God use this? It doesn't stop there. Rahab is still referenced long into the New Testament for her faith. And that is why Rahab lives among us today, the Bible says. She's in the family tree of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, because she saw an opportunity and she took it. That is why she's a giant of the faith. I want us to get this and understand it today, folks, that no matter where you are, no matter how you feel about yourself, if God has given you a plan, if God has given you a promise, hold on to it. Don't let yourself talk yourself out of everything God has for you. And we do that. Self-doubt, self-esteem issues, anxiety, lack of self-worth plague us because we see everybody else around us in their their minute-long videos on Instagram or Facebook. And we compare ourselves to them. It's like, man, I can't do it. Can't sing. Can't play. I can't raise these kids can't keep this marriage, I can't get that job, and we let ourselves talk ourselves right out of everything God has done can't you can come to the keys, man. A couple things I want you to remember today, and if you would, just just really lock in the first thing is that your service can lead to salvation. your service to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords can literally lead to your salvation. We know it's not of works. But what your service does is it puts you in a position, in a posture to be closer to the Lord. And when you're closer to the Lord, it's easier to hear his voice. Every time you you knock on someone's door and you are offering some sort of a help, every time you carry some lady's groceries, every time you roll a cable, every time you pick up a piece of trash in the lobby, you are literally posturing yourself Closer to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now think about this. What if Rahab decides not to get involved? Nobody would have thought anything different because Rahab is a prostitute. You know, why, why would she do anything? Why would she help? She's a prostitute. Nobody expects anything of her. But something happened inside of her. And this is what makes her a giant in this faith. Is because everything that she is, everything that she's experienced, everything that she's literally living in, she decides, "I'm I'm gonna do something. I have an opportunity. Forty years in the making. Now she was a prostitute for forty years. That's a long time. It's a long time. That's a long time to be scared. That's a long time to live in fear. But." Acting in faith, she literally changes the trajectory of her life. Not just her life, but her family's life. Rahab saw an opportunity to serve and to get involved, and she went for it. Let me ask you this this morning. I'm going to hit you hard. You ready? Where are you serving? Where are you serving? Service looks a lot different depending on who you are or where you are, but it's imperative. That you're serving somewhere. Have you found a place to serve? Here at City Hills, here at your local church. If you're not from here, here in your community, are you loving people? Are you reaching people? We had an opportunity for you. It's coming up on July 15th. I'm just gonna go ahead and make a couple plugs shamelessly. Serve Day, July 15th. Be there. Come on, let's do it. And next week for Hills, for 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 City Hills, come to Growth Track. Find out where you can get involved because your service can lead to salvation. And this is how by getting involved, pushing you, posturing you, is is as close to Christ as you can get. He served us so much so that he's like a slave, the Bible said, because he served us unto death. Number two, your past is no match for God's plan for your life. I want you to hear me, front, back, side to side, that your past is no match for God's plan for your life. I was very fortunate to get, be raised in church for the most part, and so I didn't really start acting up and getting loose till I was like in college. You know what I mean? I was like, well, you know, I made it through high school. I was bringing people to church, living for God. You know, got to high school and lost my mind. And I was talking to people in our worship team meeting this past week. You've ever had an experience where you wake up the next morning like, <laughs> still alive? He didn't take me last night. I, could have, I thought he was coming for me for sure because of the choices I made yesterday. But the older I get, I realize that there's nothing I can do to change God's plan and promise. There's things I could do to, to limit myself, but it doesn't change God's plan for me. So listen to me that your past is no match for God's plan for your life. Rahab had every reason to sit back and hide. Like I told you earlier, nobody would have thought anything different. She's she's nasty. But that's not how God saw her. God saw her not as the prostitute, not as the harlot, even though in the scripture that's still how she's identified. God sees her as daughter. God sees her as promise. God sees her as giant. And we're still talking about Rahab today. I like this. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says this: "For I know the thoughts that I think toward you," saith the Lord, "thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end." Romans eleven twenty nine says it like this: "For God's gifts and His callings are irrevocable." One version of the scripture says that they're without repentance, so God doesn't take them away, no matter how bad you are. If God promised your parents something when they dedicated you to the Lord and God did something in your life when you were a teenager, God did something in your older age and you mess up, you fall short. His promises, his gifts are irrevocable. Donnie McClurkin says like this, when you fall, just get back up and get in line. His promise didn't change. He's got a plan for you. And lastly, I feel like if Rahab could tell us something, she would say this, seize the day. Because today is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says that, For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. In the midnight hour, when songwriter said, I heard you. God turned it around. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Somebody say now. Everybody say now, today is the day of salvation. you don't mind, why don't you stand up? We're going to wind it down here. If you would, why don't you close your eyes and bow your head? The more I write this, you know, studied it, I felt like God kept giving me different things, and I talked to my wife, and she'd say something that stuck out to me. Because I, 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 I relate to Rahab. I relate to Peter. I relate to David, all the bad people, you know. The people who doubt, people who sin, you know. I, because it lets me know that he's not done with me yet. He's still got me. Now, if you would, why don't you just close your eyes and bow your heads. And I want to just read this to you as I wrote it last night. The child of God, what are you waiting for? God has made you promises. God has inspired dreams and visions in you. God has even already answered some of those prayers, those crazy prayers that you pray, prayers that you don't even tell people about because it's so wild, so outlandish, so out there. But God is ready to give you that. He's ready to set you free. You just need to believe like Rahab. No better yet, you need to act like Rahab and remove every obstacle, Every fear, every sin, and step into God's plan for your life today. Come on, it's time to take a step. It's time to say yes. It's time to take action. I want you to listen to me if you're a believer but you haven't taken the next step to be baptized into Christ. Get baptized. Be baptized next week. Be baptized. If you've believed and you've been baptized and you're you're living this life and you feel something drawing you, something pulling you, it's the Spirit of God. Begin to pray for God to fill you, to give you more of His Spirit. Because there's more. There is more. So we talked about The giant so far. If you could run a lap with Noah, Noah would say this. One man can make a difference. One person can make a difference. One woman can make a difference. Nehemiah would say, opposition doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong, but rather you're doing something right. Rahab would say, seize the day because today is the day of salvation. It's time to seize the Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence today. We thank you for what you've done in this house so far, Lord God. We thank you for the passionate, powerful worship. And we thank you for this word that you give us, Lord Jesus, to remind us. And if it's not a reminder, Lord God, it's an opportunity, an introduction to the fact that you've given us a promise. That you've given us a plan, a word, and all we have to do is take it, seize it. No matter where we are, no matter what we've done, how far we've gone, or if we have no relationship with you at all, today is the day of salvation. We seize the day. If you would, why don't you lift your hands all over this place? I feel like the presence of God is moving so strong. We thank you today, Father. We worship you. We honor you today. We glorify you. We worship you. I pray right now, if somebody walked in this house, maybe not feeling the love of God, I want you to know that he loves you. That no matter where you are, he loves you. No matter what you've done, he loves you. And he's got a plan and he's got a promise for you. If you believe that in this house, I want you just to put your hands together. I want you to lift your voice in thanksgiving and worship.